This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 1. Leaving on a Jet Plane Here's the last email my mum wrote before getting on the flight to Manchester. Hey Truman, I'm on my way. I'm going to dinner with my daughter and her boyfriend, then off to the airport. The flight is leaving on time, all systems go. I'm a bit nervous, but really excited to see you. I assume you'll be meeting me at the airport? If not, let me know and I will get a cab to the hotel. Either way is fine. I will forward you my ticket just in case. I'll text you from Heathrow to let you know if the connecting flight is on time or if I have to hitchhike to you. Kidding. I'll see if you're on Skype later when I get to the airport. See you tomorrow. How freaky that we'll meet tomorrow. Cheers, Jules. What do you think now, reading this email? I just can't help but cringe. I noticed that I was using a sweet new nickname for him, True Man. I boarded the plane without receiving a response from him. He'd mentioned that he was feeling unwell in a few of our conversations leading up to this point and I was giving him an easy out for meeting me at the airport. Was this because I didn't want to seem demanding? I was in for a shock when I arrived. Chapter 2. The Police Report The following is taken from the initial statement that my mum provided to the UK police. She has changed some names and added some details, but the events are retold from a record put down only days after it actually happened. I was headed to Manchester flying in from Hong Kong. When I arrived, there was a text saying Truman was really sick and asking if I could get a cab to the hotel in the city centre and he would meet me there. I waited in the hotel until midday I'd arrived at 7.30am on Monday the 27th of December. And then finally I called him to see where he was. He said he'd been asleep after throwing up all night. Truman called a cab down to the hotel and asked me to meet him in the lobby. When I first laid eyes on him, he was leaning nonchalantly up against a countertop in the foyer and was smiling warmly as I approached him. I was pleased to see that he matched his photos and was well-dressed and very handsome. We hugged and he seemed enthusiastic, friendly and very happy to see me. 
I was nervous but excited to finally meet him. He said he needed to run some errands so he got back in the cab which was waiting outside and went to pick up a sign for his phone shop. It turned out that we could not pick up the sign because it was a public holiday so we came back to the hotel. When we arrived back in the hotel, he said he'd forgotten his wallet and asked if I could pay for the cab. I was irritated and suspicious, but I paid the cab. I later realised that getting me to go in the cab to get the sign was just a ploy to get me to go with him as he didn't have any money to pay for it. He would have known damn well that it was a public holiday and that the store would have been closed. Truman later commented on how I reacted when he asked for this money and linked my response to my past experience with scammers to explain my reaction. He would continue to link my previous dating disasters to my current reactions to things as the week went on. I wish that I'd not told him about any of these past relationships and negative experiences, as he frequently used them against me during my visit. The rest of the police report contains countless similar details of moments I could only see as indicators of a master manipulator when looking back on them and writing them down. At home alone, after it was all over, I began to panic and shake and could hardly calm myself down. Finally, I called a girlfriend who helped me see that it wasn't my fault and that I just needed to stay calm and collected if I were to seek justice for what I'd been through. That was the push I needed. If I was going to be capable of telling my story, I had to keep my head. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Amy Kaufman wrote a book on the show, calling it America's Guilty Pleasure. In an interview for Time magazine, she says, We now know that the couples don't really stay together, and it's not a formula for lasting love. But I think why we're so obsessed with the show has something to do with our desire to have fantasy and romance in our life. When asked if the show still resonates with her, she replies, I can't lie. When I watch two people connect, it makes me feel like I can have that someday. It might not be in a helicopter or on a mountain, but I can certainly have a guy make me feel like I'm worthy of love. When I look at the events that happened with Truman through the eyes of my mother's love of The Bachelor, 
I can clearly see the two realities she's capable of living in. Just like her beloved reality TV show, she made herself overlook things that she knew or suspected were fake so she could keep participating. And, just like The Bachelor, the thing that comes to matter above all else is that she could find herself worthy of love. Chapter 4. The Scam He took me to his phone shop opposite a large shopping centre in the city. I met his partner Jack, a short Caucasian guy who was around 50 years old. This was the guy with whom Truman was supposedly arranging to rent half of his shop. Truman only had one small counter in the shop, but he showed me all the stock that he had in his house of the phones from his old shop, which he'd recently shut down as he was moving to a new location. Truman told me he had sold some diamond jewellery to a pawn shop in the Mossman Centre and the interest it was accumulating was a huge financial concern for him. He was also worried about the pawn shop selling it because the six-month deadline to buy it back was imminent. He explained that if he could get his jewellery back, then he could actually sell it for a much greater value and pay off the rest of the lease on his new place and take over the entire shop. It wouldn't cover all of it, but it would be worth about eight or 10,000 altogether, and he only needed 12,000 pounds to secure the shop completely. He then excitedly told me he'd be able to resell the shop quickly and be able to move to Hong Kong in the next three to six months. Truman assured me that once he had his shop, he could then get on with selling phones and make loads of money. Truman was so convincing about how if he could just get his jewellery back, it would be the first step towards us being able to be together. He told me that he loved me and thought I was an amazing, kind, down-to-earth woman. He said he felt so lucky to have found me and felt that it was a new chapter in his life. These were all words that I so badly wanted to hear. His words overshadowed any concern that I had and pushed all of my worries out of my mind. I basked in his praise and I felt hopeful for the future. I offered to lend him money to get his jewellery back. I could feel his excitement at this offer, but I misinterpreted this reaction as his connection with me growing stronger. He promised he would pay me back as soon as the shop was up and running and turning a profit. He assured me that he would be so busy given the amazing location of the new shop in the city centre and the money would flow into his business quickly. I felt like I was investing in us. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. 
It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. The day after she arrived, they went to hire a car at the airport. Truman told me he had been required to return his company car, which he said was a BMW, when he quit his job. I don't know why he didn't tell me it was an Audi, since the car in the photo he sent me was an Audi. Of course, this didn't cross my mind at the time. He said he would pay for the hire car, but if I could put it on my credit card, that would be really helpful because he only had a debit card. I agreed. He suggested that I rent it for seven days as it was cheaper than for five days and he said he could return it the following Tuesday, three days after I'd returned to Hong Kong. We went in to make the transaction. I asked the woman at the rental desk about insurance and had that added to the contract. I also decided just to book the car until Saturday when I was leaving, not Tuesday as Truman requested. I didn't feel right about doing that when it was in my name. I thought it would be a good idea if Truman added his name to the driver's list, so I suggested it. He refused straight away, even though it was a free and simple process. I couldn't figure out why he just wouldn't hand over his licence and put his name down as a driver, because if someone else drove the car and crashed it and they were not on the insurance, I could have been liable for the entire cost of the repairs. He kept insisting that I obey what he told me to do. So despite my misgivings, I gave up. With the car rented and the keys in my hand, we walked out to the parking lot. Here, he started raising his voice at me, saying I was not working as a part of a team and that he knew what I was doing. He screamed that I shouldn't have insured the car and that I should have booked the car until next Tuesday and he would return it. He yelled about the fact that I'd requested that he submit his name on the list of drivers. I could feel my throat growing tighter as I tried hard to hold back the tears. This was the moment when I felt fear in his presence for the first time. In hindsight, I suspect there might have been a reason he didn't want his name on the driver's list, either because he didn't have a license or he didn't want me to see his real name. It's possible he didn't want to get insurance so he could steal the car or hold it for ransom. As we got closer to the car, the verbal onslaught was too much for me to handle and I started crying. Truman softened and walked around to my side of the car, hugged me and explained that he had comprehensive insurance that would fix the car if it got damaged and that he didn't need his name on the hire contract. I was jet-lagged and confused. I knew he was wrong, but I couldn't be bothered arguing. So to my shame, I went back in and changed the contract and cancelled the insurance. The girl at the counter could tell that I'd been crying and gave me a look that showed sympathy. It was like a moment of shared reality between us women. She could see the hold that Truman had over me and how powerless I was in the face of his manipulation. 
It was my first big glaring sign that all was not right with the situation, but I let him charm me out of my fears. For the first time, I'd seen an unequivocally aggressive and nasty side of him, but he was able to allay my fears by going on a charm offensive once I'd done what he demanded. On the way back to Manchester in the hire car, he was friendly and sweet and joked with me. He was trying his best to get me on side and to forget about the incident in the car rental place. Sadly, I have to say it worked. My mood lifted and I soon forgot about how upset and concerned I'd been. One aspect of trust and gullibility theory that's worth mentioning here is the part that's related to something called naive realism. In psychology, naive realism explains the way some people look at the world and imagine that the reality they see is just as it is. They don't look for their own biases or prejudgments to try to see reality more rationally. They just accept what they see as real and assume there's no need to question it. In a way, that's what my mum was doing. Some research into trust suggests that people who are more trustworthy themselves are more likely to trust others, in part because it's difficult for them to imagine a world where people would take advantage of each other on purpose. This was part of her naive realism. It would be extremely difficult for her to imagine being conniving or manipulating anyone, so this made it hard for her to see when someone else was doing those exact things to her. She was fighting hard for her reality, one where people are basically good and the world is a trustworthy place, and in doing so, getting herself into more and more of a dangerous situation. Her deep unwillingness to see what was really going on had barely even begun to crack. So badly did she want this man to prove to be the things she'd hoped he had been that she was already giving him second third, fourth chances to prove he could be her perfect partner. Here's forensic psychologist Dr. Shiloh's perspective on what happened here. Someone who may be susceptible to a romance scam, honestly, I have seen the gamut. I I don't know the exact research behind this, if we're talking about risk factors to be possibly a victim of this. I have had cream of the crop, most intelligent people, judges, crime scene investigators, people that should be suspect anyway, right? If they're involved in the criminal justice system, we think, oh, you have a different awareness of hypervigilance about these things. But guess what? They're human beings too, and they're seeking love and affirmation and trying to fill whatever void isn't there, whatever human need isn't being met for them at the moment. All of our behaviors are based on human needs. So if it's not being met for us, regardless of who we are, how smart we are, that's what makes someone susceptible. So for people that actually go to meet their romantic scammers, what I have found, this is just anecdotally with individuals that I've had in treatment, again, not research-based, but there is an underlying pull of, I have to know and see if this is real. And... I've had clients who have made multiple attempts of, I will pay for your plane ticket to come out here. Come visit me. It's that in-person contact that you finally want to take that step with. The scammers are very good at 
skirting that and coming up with excuses as to why they can't. But I find that it, it really is, even if you're not consciously thinking about it, it's that pull of, okay, here's an opportunity for me to meet this person in person. Petro is 61 and from South Africa. She met her scammer on Instagram in 2017, and then they moved to Hangouts, and then he started calling her. He said he was the same age as her, and that they were born in the same month. He told her he lived in the USA and owned a house in Georgia. Petro did not see the red flags. The first thing that hooked me was that he said to me he was a Christian because I'm a very big believer in God. And that wowed me because I was looking for a man like my late husband because my late husband was a qualified pastor and he taught me a lot about the Bible. So that's the first thing because then he started praying with me in the morning and praying at night and sending me Bible verses and things. But he never knew that my late husband was a pastor. When I asked him if he was a Christian and he said to me, yes, then he started doing all these things. Then the first time he asked me for money was for an accident that his daughter was in and he had to pay medical bills. Then I paid the money into uh, Western Union Bank and then he withdrew it and he gave me addresses of people that I had to send the money to in the USA, in Georgia. I sent the money to them. They collected the money. He said to me it was friends of his that will collect the money and forward it to him. He was then in Norway on a rig. He then went from Norway. He said to me he was going home to USA with some of the money that I sent him. Then he got stuck in supposedly in New Mexico because he didn't have money to do a private flight and his papers had expired. So he had to go redo his passport and his papers with somebody that he knew in New Mexico. After that, he sent me another message that he needed more money because now he has to pay for the private flight, but his lawyer will send me all the paperwork and things for my, for my visa and my uh, visiting visa. And I did that. I sent him money, and then the lawyer sent me the paperwork for my visiting visa. At that stage, I realized something was wrong when he was supposed to get on the flight, and he couldn't make the flight, apparently, according to him. By that time, I had already sent him 80000 US dollars. And when I confronted him, he blocked me, and he didn't want to chat to me. But at that stage, I was still chatting to his so-called daughter. Her jaw was uh, strapped with uh, wiring because she couldn't talk, but she typed to me. But it wasn't her. I now realized it was him because he was playing the role of father and daughter. So that's why she couldn't talk to me because um, there was no daughter. But he was chatting to me via typing as the daughter. And that's when I realized, that's when I started joining all the groups on scamming. And then they showed me the red flags. And then only I realized I was scammed. Then he contacted me again after a long time. He contacted me again 
and said to me, can I help him to get home to his daughter because his daughter is very ill. So I said to him, sorry, I am not helping you with one cent more because you're a scammer. Then he blocked me again. And after a short while, he opened up Hangout again and he came out onto conversation again. Then he said to me, if I promise to help him this time because his daughter has died and he needs to go and make peace with his dead daughter in USA so that he can bury her properly, if I can send him $500 just to buy new clothing to get on a flight, then he will appreciate it, then he will prove to me that he is real. Then he once again sent me another visa paper from another person, three other persons. And then I blocked him immediately there and then I blocked him. But in total, I lost more than $80,000. After I was scammed and I realized what happened, I was very ashamed and I was very suicidal. I was very, very suicidal. I was actually writing out my will and writing a letter to my kids that I still have. But, um, but I'm sorry of what I did to them. And I just prayed to God and, and God just helped me and carried me through because I realized that was not who I am. If I was going to take my life, I was going to hell. So at this point, I was very, very empty and lost. You know, the strange thing was, I was just looking for love. Losing everything was devastating. Petro was able to get his real details and images with the help of Advocate Against Romance Scams, and discovered he was living in South Africa. But the South African police wouldn't help her. Petro hopes that she can find a way to repair the relationships with her children. In the next episode, the situation gets a whole lot worse, and she starts to finally see what she's gotten herself into. There's a moment of terror and a rude awakening in a hotel room when the penny drops and she can momentarily see through the fog. What isn't clear, though, is whether the fog will stay lifted. By this point, she's wound tightly around Truman's finger. He has a strong grip on her, and he's been carefully honing his manipulation tactics to try to scam her even further. Make sure you listen to the next episode. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.